You guys want to hear a story? <laughs> Good. Here comes a story. I, when I was a kid, you know, like I asked them, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was great to hear them say things like a teacher a doctor, a veterinarian. How many of you know we need some good people like that in our world, teachers and doctors and people that can balance TVs on edges and spin dance? But when I was a kid, I remember the first time I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. Now, it, it wasn't a pastor. It wasn't a storyteller. It was, but I remember somebody gave me a book called the Guinness Book of World Records. How many of you guys remember that book? I think they still print it. And there's some crazy stuff in there. The world's biggest popsicle. There's the... Uh, you know, the longest mustache, the person who, you know, like weighs the much, the most, the tallest, the, the largest dog, the richest person. But the one that really caught me was a picture of a guy that was holding a piece of a human skull. I mean, you know when you're five years old, that, that gets your attention. All children love the play Macbeth by Shakespeare, I'm sure. And, and alas, poor Oric, I knew him well. I'm sitting there looking at this bone, and I asked my dad, what is this? He says, this is actually a piece of bone that was discovered in the Olgabai Gorge in Tanzania, Africa, by a guy named Dr. Lewis Leakey. And I said, well, what, what, what kind of a job is that? Because he's an archaeologist. And from that point on, for many years, what I wanted to be was an archaeologist. Now, my dad was an engineer, which is the coolest job in the world, I thought, because you got to drive trains every day. Turns out he didn't even ever see a train. He just like, drew cars. I'm like, well, that's disappointing. So what I did is I went and I got my shovel, like I saw Dr. Lewis Leakey, and his son Richard and his wife Mary. And I went to the backyard and I began to dig. And sure enough, I found a rock. <laughs> Buried beneath the ground for who knows how long by ancient civilizations, I was sure. And I brought the rock in. And my dad knew enough to say, Jimmy, this is quite a find. You found a rock. And I just wanted to be an archaeologist and a rock hound and, and uh, you know, maybe a primatologist, someone who studied apes and evolution. And, I mean, that, that was where my whole heart was at. And what was funny is my, my dad and my mom knew enough about the heart of a child not to say, well, Jimmy, you realize if you do this, you're going to need, like, 30 more years of school. You're going to need to be, like, the, the premier mind in this field in your generation to even get funding. This is not, like, like we're not changing the world. We're just discovering where it's been in this field. They, they had no discouragement. They said, Jimmy, anything you put your heart to, anything you put your mind, you, I mean, you are five years old, and you found a rock all by yourself. You're really good at this. And I wasn't old enough yet to have that age of reason where I began to say, is this even possible? And no one looked at me as a child and said, you can't do this. I encountered for the very first time in my life something I call belief. I just simply believed that someday I would be a world-renowned in Tanzania, in the Ogilvy Gorge, next to my mentor who is never going to get older, Louis Leakey. By, by a show of hands, anybody ever heard of Louis Leakey? Do you know who he is? A handful of people. Thank you. So I'm not the only strange person in the room. Anybody heard of Jane Goodall? Okay. He was one of the mentors. as a primatologist. He was one of her mentors and taught her about monkeys and stuff. So I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted to discover apes and evolution. I wanted all this. That was my heart. So I wanted, I wanted to dig up bones and, and give them names and all this, you know, Homo erectus and all this kind of crazy names that, you know, defining people. And I had no conflicting information that ever talked me out of that dream. And, and the point is, is this. When we're children, nothing is impossible. How many of you guys know what that means? When you tell your kid there's this big fat guy who wears a red coat, he's got these other kids in here? He's got an um, aerodynamic bovine. I, I'm just trying to use words they understand. He, he's got, there's a, a self-propelled device, which is with a red and an on-dasher. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I don't want to blow your, your traditions. You know what I mean? If you want to lie to your children, that's fine. But what I'm saying is this. 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> just, just kidding. But, but, but what happened was, you know, like kids just believe what you, you tell them. And this is what Jesus says about the faith of a child. Jesus called the children to him and he said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them because the kingdom of God, God's domain, God's kingdom, God as king, it belongs to people just like these little runts up here that believe with no doubt, right? Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a five-year-old that wants to be a veterinarian, an eight-year-old that wants to be a doctor. And this morning, we had people that they were like six, and they wanted to be a bus driver because that was the coolest thing in their world was getting on that bus every day. If you won't receive it like that, then he says this, you can't enter it. You cannot have what God has for you unless you grow up to be like a child. Now, now understand this. Is my scientific mind, my atheist father, and my, my adolescent addictions to drugs and alcohol began to gain fruition. My, my learning grew. Um, my ability to reason, my, my cynicism. I had been hurt multiple times. And let's, let's be honest, kids shouldn't believe everything is true eventually, right? Because there are some bad things in the world that call themselves good. There's some dangerous people in the world. We need to tell them to yell, stranger danger, and remember what McGruff the crime dog taught them in operation identification and trust a police officer and things like that. But they, like, as they get to that place, there's always this part of us that wants to believe. And I want to tell you guys something. I, I don't believe... <clears throat> I, I do believe this. I believe that, that faith is childlike, but let us never demean it to the place where we called it childish. Believing for your future, believing there's someone who loves you, believing the chair you sat on this morning would sustain you, believing that there's good things waiting for you today in your day, or believing there's bad things that are stalking you and will overtake you in a minute. What we believe has a lot to do with who we are. And so I want to challenge you today to begin to believe like a child believes. I want you to begin to say, you know what, when a child wakes up, they say, oh, it's morning. How many of you guys when you put a kid in bed, they're like, oh, I don't want to go to sleep. You know, it's, it's still daylight. How many of you guys remember being put in bed in the summertime? There's no school. It's still light outside. Your siblings are in the backyard hanging out because it was the 60s. You know what I mean? And they're in the pool with their friends and there's music playing, but you have to go to bed because you're four. How many of you guys remember that? And then as soon as the sun came up in the morning, you sprung out of bed. You went downstairs and you watched Oopsie Daisy the Clown. Can I get a witness? And Sir Graves Gastly after school. Are you still here? Bill Kennedy at the movies. He had four channels and all of them were terrible, but you enjoyed every minute of it, right? And, and, and I remember just being like, I, I can't wait to wake up and I don't want to go to sleep. But somewhere between the faith of a child believing today's a good day and if I go to sleep, I'm going to miss something wonderful and adulthood. Now we can't wait to go to sleep. And the best day of our life is the, the day we get to sleep. How many of you guys love that God gave us a jammy day called the Sabbath? Actually, the word Sabbath means pajamas in the original Hebrew. It's, don't look it up. Just trust me, your pastor. So faith is childlike, but it's not childish. And I think the world that we're facing today, I think the world could use some people that are dreamers. I think the world could use some people that are believers. Some people that do have faith that tomorrow has the potential of being better and that you have a power in tomorrow that can make it better. Faith in God isn't naive. I think faith in God is a proper conclusion. Again, just a little piece of my history, but I was raised and educated to be an atheist. And I don't mean raised like it was my family tradition or my family's religion. I was raised by a man who said there is no God. I've known it my whole life. If you have a lick of common sense, you'll believe this too. He trained me, to, you know, like when the corner is, do you see God up there? Well, then he's not there. You know, feel, feel with your hand. Do you feel God? I don't feel it with my hand. Well, then he's not there. Do you, you know, as, as you see, and can you hear? Listen, let's, let's listen and see if we can hear God speak. Now, listen. Do you hear anything? No. 
Okay, so if there is a God, you can't see him, you can't touch him, you can't hear him. Like, he's invisible, he's impossible. So why would you believe in a fairy tale like that, Jimmy? And I'm like, well, I, I guess I wouldn't. And then as I got educated, again, my interest in archaeology and all the different things of evolution and all the different things of science, and, and, and I'm not, this is not a, a treatise against or for us, just simply by the time it came time for me to get to the age of reason, what I believed was absolutely nothing. I believed that my life was meaningless. I believed that I was a you know, goo to you by way of the zoo accident. I believed that my father and my mother came together, and, and in the end, you know, Jimmy popped out, and that's just the way it is, but I have no purpose. I have no meaning. So what I'm here to do is to get out of this, whatever I can get out of this, give almost nothing back, and unless it makes me happy, give nothing, and, and to live a selfish life. Well, that leads to addictions, and that leads to different issues. And when, when you don't need God and you become one, how many of you know that sometimes things don't go the way you want? Always, somebody says, Yeah. So it's not naive. It's actually, I believe, faith is actually the proper conclusion. As I study more about archaeology, and I found that little bone that was later called Lucy that, that Louis Leakey found, it was just a, about a quarter-sized piece of, of a skull. And from that, he, he reassembled a whole life and a whole skeletal system and organs. And if you go to the Smithsonian today, you'll see the, the display where it goes from apes all the way through Homo erectus, and it, it has this, this progression. But I, I got to tell you something, after studying it for about 15 years of my life, and, and to this day, I've read all the origins of species and all that stuff. I, I'm, this is not a treatise, again, against science. It's simply saying this. Any honest scientist will admit that there's a lot of leaps of faith to get from the ape to the man. There's a lot of leaps to get from good to you by way of the zoo. There's a lot of leaps. So if I have to live my life by some faith, now at our age of reason, I have to choose which faith is the right faith. And I, and I want you to know something, guys. I want us to take a look at one teenage girl and her decision to trust God. Maybe you recognize this person. Her name's Mary. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth and a town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. He's one of David's lineage down there. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. How many of you guys know that just kind of ruins a normal day? Here's this teenage kid. She's probably barefoot, probably illiterate, probably wearing the one pair of clothes that she has. She lives in them, she sleeps in them, she works in them. She's, she's not born into wealth. She's, she's a, a poor person's daughter. And all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel shows up. How many of you know that's going to change your whole day? And so she has a reaction like I would. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. That's a nice biblical way of saying she absolutely freaked out. Like, okay. And he was troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor. Everybody say favor. Favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. Now, look, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. His name's going to be Jesus. Look, he'll be great. Uh, he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He's going to be a king, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants for the nation of Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, isn't it interesting that he talks about all this great stuff that's going to happen, this amazing stuff. But how many of you guys know that the whole plan stopped for Mary as soon as he got to the first thing that wasn't possible? That's called the age of reason. As soon as you hit the first thing that just, I, it's not my experience. I, I've never experienced, I've never seen that before. I don't know. When that happens, we usually stop believing because we know that things that we believe that are unbelievable, that are untrue, we, we can't believe those things. Like what fool would believe this angel who's saying these things? things. And this, she has this concern. And here it is. It's the real world. She doesn't have a concern about the war with Rome that would have to take place. She doesn't have a concern about what it would do to her heart, and to her family, to her lineage, how she's going to have to learn how to read because she's going to be a king's mother. She has none, but she has this one thing. Here it is. How will this be? I've lived on the farm long enough to know where baby goats come from. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not married. 
So what you said to me seems impossible. Now, I'm going to stand to this. Sometimes God does his best work when things seem impossible. Like, like God begins to do things when we reach the end of our ability to do them ourselves. She doesn't understand how this is going to happen. It seems impossible. But she asks a sincere question. I've got a point of order. Um, a survey says, and eh, I, I don't know what to do with this information. Like, this is impossible. I, I mean, it isn't like I'm saying I don't believe you. It's just saying I need more information to feel good about this. Like, I believe it because you're an angel and I'm standing here, but I don't believe it because I've never seen it, so help me. Now, how many guys, by a show of hands, be honest, you've ever asked God a sincere question because you didn't understand what you were going through? And what's funny is if we, if we measure the people that raise their hand, I bet you there's a much larger percentage of people that are my age and older than people that are in their, their 20s. My age or older, you've experienced enough things, you're kind of like, huh, man, if I was God, which is a stupid way to start a sentence, by the way, if I was God, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have done it a different way. And by the time you get to a certain age where your friends begin to die, how many of you guys are old enough yet to read the obituaries and say, ha, I'm older than that guy, I won? Anybody been there yet? You're looking like, huh, that guy's like younger than me. I guess I better start flossing, right? Um, but she asked a sincere question. I don't know how this is going to function. I don't know how it's going to work. But understand this, and please hear this. You hear nothing else I say. When, when the question requires faith, God's answers, though specific, direct, and truthful, will still leave you in a place where you still require faith. So this is his answer. Here we go. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, how many of you guys know he just specifically answered a question, and she still has no idea what's going on? Because he, he was specific, and it was truthful, but, but the equation doesn't require more logic. The equation requires one leap of faith, that this is an angel, and God is speaking to me, and I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. Just as God made Adam from the, the womb of the earth, he, he says God's going to make his son, his, his next, his second Adam, the Bible calls him, from, from your womb, the womb, the womb of a virgin, and it's just the way it's going to be. This time it's going to be different. Um, but, but let me just ask you a question. If you were Mary, would you now be more confused or less confused because of the answer? I'm more confused. So wait a minute. What does the word overshadow mean exactly? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, well you know, they're gonna, he's going to be called the Son of God. Like I, uh, point of order again. Uh, I'm a virgin. You say, don't worry about it. We got this. Here's the answer. I'm like, I still don't know what you're talking about, right? So here's Mary's response, and I love this response. I am the Lord's servant. May your word, so I don't have to do anything. This is you. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, let me ask you another question. Does she have any idea when this is going to happen? Does she have any idea how this is going to happen? Does she have any, any idea where this event will take place? Does she even know, can anybody even know, like directly face-to-face, -face, God himself in some sort of intimate, not like I know you, I know all the hidden parts of you, like because God is infinite and we're finite. Like I got to tell you, there is nothing but a nebulous sense of this whole promise, even though it's very specific. And we understand 2,000 years later and hearing this story from Charlie Brown's Christmas and Linus on the stage, and we know this, this story, but, but you got to remember, she's like a kid, like one of the kids in our youth group having a conversation with an angel. I think after all the answers that are just biblical, right, and straight from God through an angel, I still don't think she knows what's really going on. And so she says, let me just settle this. I have no idea what's going on but I choose 
to trust what you say to me as true. How simple it is to have the faith of a child. I'm sorry. How simple faith is when you have the heart of a child. I don't understand any of the details, any of the particulars, any of the science, any of the genetics. I don't understand any of it. I understand the prophecy. I don't know how to read. I don't know how to write. I'm wearing the only thing that I own. But for some reason, there's a part of me that says, if I trust you, it's going to be okay. All she knows is if she can trust what God is saying to her and doing, then everything is about to change. And if she can't, then nothing really ever will. Piano girl, join me if you will, please. I want to land the plane this way. What if, what if we receive the kingdom the same way? Like Jesus said, the only way to receive the kingdom is to say, yeah, flying reindeer, red coat, a big old belly like a bowl full of jelly. We did that as a child. Then we got too smart. And I'm not saying that that, the myth shouldn't be discounted, but I'm saying this. At some point in your life, you will face something much larger than you. And, And I believe there's lots of people here today right now. You're sitting here going, you know what? The doctor just said, the lawyer just said, my business partner just said, maybe my, my spouse just said, my children just said, like, I'm, this is tough. I'm facing something, and I don't know how this ends. I don't know what to do with the mathematical equation that I'm facing right now. When the doctor used that word, it was cancer or terminal or stage four or polyp, or all of a sudden you're in this place you've never been before. When, when life changes, and relationships you've always counted on and suddenly start to turn, or maybe you're facing the very first Christmas you've ever faced alone. Somebody passed away, or someone, someone just went away. When you're facing things that are bigger than you are, logic will take you to a certain place, and you can try to talk yourself out of things. You can try to be cheerier. You can try to be optimistic. But I have found that where my logic as an atheist ended was a beautiful place for my faith as a believer to begin. When I was 16 years old, I, I did something like this. Like Mary just said, I am the Lord's servant, Jim answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am your servant. I was 16 years old. I walked into a rock concert. The reason I was there was because the, I was an ugly guy, and one of the pretty girls at school invited me to go to a concert. How many of you guys know I'm, I ain't smart, but I ain't dumb neither? Pretty girl says, let's go hear music. I'm like, Let, you know, let's go get our, let's go bobbing for apples and a deep fry. I'm in. I'm lonely. You know what I mean? I they would have cleared up my acne at some point, I think, anyway. So she said, I got an extra ticket. You want to go with me? You got to understand, when you're living in your car and you're an addict and you don't have any home and someone who cares about you says, with me, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go charge hell with a squirt gun. You want to go with me? It's like, let's load my squirt gun. Let's go charge hell, you know? She said, you want to go with me? I, I said, uh, yeah. And an atheist kid <clears throat> with all the answers but none of the fruit all the questions, but, but none, of the, none of the substance. I walk into this rock concert, and it's good music, and there's lights, and there's haze, and, you know, there's people in spandex pants and a wife beater T-shirts and a Mr. T starter kit with afros prettier than my sister and their guys, by the way. And they sing these songs, and I'm not catching on that there's anything really different. I'm just more or less keeping my eye on her and other people in the room. And then everything kind of stops. A guy starts to play guitar. The lights come down. And a person tells me for the very first time that I recall the good news about God's love. And he says this to an atheist kid who lives in a 65 Buick Electra. He says, 2,000 years ago, God looked at the earth and he saw people that he loved so much, but they were filled with what he hated so much. And it caused this dilemma. How, how do I judge righteously what I hate without destroying the people that I love? 
And somewhere before the foundations of the world, before the first sin, before Adam and Eve's and gardens and Moseses and Israelites and the Romans and the Greeks, and there was this plan that from the very beginning, from the foundations of the world, that when the time came, God was going to send a part of himself, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, to this earth. He was going to take on flesh. He was going to be born through a virgin who was going to say, I don't get it, but I, I don't want to miss it either. Whatever you say, you're God, I'm not. And so he comes into this world looking just like us, talking just like us, dressing just like us. Again, he's the son of, of peasants. Um, he lives in a family of people that are not kings, they're not wise, they're not wealthy. They're not really even religious to that degree that we see like this great tradition of, you know, he's, you know, Rebetevia from, from Fiddler on the Roof. He's just, they're just normal folk. They're carpenters, they build stuff. And... But he lives this life, and this is, this is the brilliance of the story that when I believed it changed all my tomorrows. It was like God made this so beautiful that this harmless, sinless child would be raised in the same world that destroyed this harmless but now sinful child. Everything that tripped me up, he was going to face just as I did, but instead of falling for it, instead of giving into it, instead of being disobedient and lying and stealing and cheating and lusting and fearing and all those things, he would face everything I faced but would never sin once. And then, as he's reached the prime of his life, 33 years old, he would then be, and this may be a bit complicated, but hear me, it, it was like there's this phrase that Jesus utters on the cross, the last thing. He says, it is, anybody know? It's finished. Now, that's a literal translation. There's nothing wrong. That's exactly what he said, it is finished. But there's another cultural meaning to that phrase, and that is if I owed you money and I couldn't repay, and there was a time, there was patience, when I said, that's it. You owe me $1,000, you owe it to me for five years, and you would just call and say, this guy owes me money, he hasn't paid it, they look at the contract, the money was owed, your signature, his signature, your mark, his mark, can you pay? I, I can't pay, but give me time, that's too late. They could throw you in debtor's prison until such a time it was completely repaid. Now, when that was repaid by an outside source, or by the family, or by anybody who cared, when that happened, they would write across that debt Tatalestai, paid in full, or it is. So when Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished, he's not talking about there, that should get him started. He's saying literally, because you, I faced everything you faced, because of the love of the Father in me and my love for you, I lived a sinless life, destroying everything that destroyed you, and I die in your place. Therefore, what God hates is now in the one that God loves, who lays his life down for all that God loves. For God so loved the that he gave his one and only son so that whoever of us here today would believe in him would not perish but have life that begins now and never has an ending. That's the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. That's what it's all about. I love joy of the world. The Lord has come. I love Black Friday shopping in my pajamas from my laptop at noon. I love that I get a week off with my family. I love that I get to spoil Hollis for seven consecutive days. His parents are going to kick me out of the house each and every day. I'm going to tell them how tired they look and how they need a nap, and it's just a good thing you have a grandfather that cares for this child. I'm going to tell them they're doing it wrong, and they're going to love every minute of my input in their lives, right? I love all that, but I think the thing I love the most is I finally found something that I couldn't touch, and I couldn't see, and I couldn't smell, and I couldn't hear, but somehow a different part of me that wasn't physical knew all the time was real. And when I embraced that and he embraced me, 
all I can say is it's just changed everything. From the time I gave my life to Jesus, from the time I stepped out and believed, 16 years old, now 52 years old, I have never sinned one time. Except that one by lying to you just now. Of course I have. I don't know that I'm even that much better. I think I know more about all this. Because I know more, I'm, I'm more aware of how far I am and how far I have to go. But I'm also equally aware of how great His love is for people that just believe like a child. I don't know about you guys, but I am under the firm impression that I am God's favorite kid. I'm also firmly convinced that I'm tied for that title with all of humanity. You are God's favorite kid. The thought of forever without you was so unthinkable that the unimaginable has sent his son to erase, to pay for, to cancel out my debt, your debt, so that we could be with him forever, so that he could send heaven to us drop by drop here on earth, and then someday take us to heaven where all those drops came from. Just stand to your feet, please, all over this room. I'll dismiss you in 90 seconds. Kids have done a great job. <clears throat> You've done a great job. The kids are back. They're having a party. They're, they're drinking their last cup of espresso and, and their brownie. They're all getting their puppies, and you don't want to be back there right now anyway. But before we leave this room, could I just say this to you? I, I know you can't touch him, but that doesn't mean he can't touch you right now. I know you can't hear audibly his voice, but I know that he can hear yours. Because the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I, I know you can't smell him, but the fragrance of your prayer, the Bible says, rises before him like incense. Like what you believe on this earth changes the atmosphere of his presence in heaven. He's listening for your voice. He's, he's, he's reaching out. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you were to reach out with, with that part of you that knows how to believe like a child, you could grasp all of this today. If you need to know where all the dinosaurs were on the ark and who wrote what, what language and how to translate, I, I don't know. I know where the dinosaurs were on the ark. They were in the glove box. It's very clear in the biblical record. But what's funny is after I met Jesus, I didn't care so much about the minutiae anymore. Just like when I believed that the piece of the skull on Lucy, you know, the, that was found in the Ogobai Gorge, I, I, all they found was something about the size of a quarter. But I, I, I leapt to the same conclusion that Leakey did because I, I just believed I don't know what I believe about it anymore, but I do believe this. I believe that, that God is reaching out to a planet and he's saying, come to me all you are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Close your eyes, please, all over this room. Father, I pray that those under the sound of my voice right now would make a very childlike, not childish, a very childlike choice to believe, to trust, to pray again. Some of us haven't prayed in a long time. We just stop believing to read with great interest. Some of us, we don't read anymore because ah, we've already read it or I'm not quite sure what that means. And so we just move on and watch a lot of Hallmark movies. And To believe again for things that are great, not just waking up every morning saying, you know, good Lord, it's morning. Let us wake up and say, good morning, Lord. You know, help us to have that, that expectation that children carry with them. Help us to have that belief that when negative words and naysayers and doubters come, there's still that power that says, but I know that on Christmas morning, the cookies will be gone and the presents will be there. We're not believing in Santa, but we're leaving like we used to. Reignite that heart that believes in all of us, I pray. Because this world needs people that are salt and light. Believers. People that trust your promises and live them every day. God, help us to be the people that our children can be proud of. Help us to be the people that our grandchildren can point at and say, when I grow up, I don't want to be just a scientist. I want to be a scientist like my grandpa. I don't want to be just a mother. I want to be a mother like my mommy. Help us, God, to live a life that shines so brightly with your radiance, your glory. If we pass nothing to our children in the form of inheritance, let us leave something in our children called faith. 
Because faith is what's going to get them through everything. It's what's going to get us through this day now in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're hearing you say, Jim, I needed that today. I want you to take a step of faith today to go from inside of you to outside of you, to take it from the noun of belief to the verb of faith, the action. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's a simple act. I'm going to count to three of you here today, and you're like, you know what? I need a fresh slate. I need a, I need a, a fresh start, a clean slate, a new beginning. I, I, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like for Jesus to take all my yesterdays and bury them in the sea of forgetfulness. I, I want to be like as I was born all over again, right here, right now, today, trusting him. If I could do it all over again, what I would change is this. I'd do it God's way every day. Father, I pray today. There's people here under the sound of my voice that need this. Give them faith right now to respond. When I come to three, I want you to lift your hand. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. One, I need this. Two, today I make my decision, my choice, my free will. I exercise it to believe. Three, all over this room. Bless you. Raise your hand up all over this room. Very cool. Wonderful. Pray this with me right now. Would you all over this room say this with me? Jesus, I believe like a child. I don't have all the answers. I just believe you do. Come into my heart. Set me free. Give me life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. Because from this day forward, I belong to you. You belong to me. Thank you for forgiving me. Giving me a clean slate. I'm looking forward to it. I'll see you soon. Amen.